The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What can you do starting today to be kinder to yourself and other people so that both you and the people you love can grow more? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So the role of emotional intelligence is important in lots of aspects of our lives, including education, the workplace, our personal lives, our relationships, honestly, everything. And it's not just about being nice or happy or being in a good mood, but rather about developing the skills to understand and manage your emotions in a healthy and productive way. Yes, you have emotions all the time. As I've heard it said, which I love, you are a feeling being who thinks, not a thinking being who happens to feel every now and then. So today I brought Mark Brackett, who's the founder of the Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale. And he's also the author of the book Permission to Feel. Mark and I talked a lot about his emphasis on the importance of recognizing and accepting the wide range of human emotions that we experience. In his work, he's identified 144 that he's very comfortable having us work through, understand, and get to know better. He says that our emotions can often be complex and contradictory. Yeah, you can feel more than one at once, and you can have trouble labeling them. But it's still essential to understand and embrace them so you can continue to develop your emotional intelligence. It will change how you show up. And here's how he says to do this. Use the RULER acronym. It stands for Recognize, Understand, Label, Express, and Regulate Your Emotions. And today, Mark's going to tell you how each of those components plays a vital role in continuing to develop your emotional intelligence, improving your ability to navigate the world, and enjoying your life. Here he is. I think we have it all wrong about what it means to be successful. You know, I work with very wealthy people. I work with extraordinarily smart people. And I work with people who have reached levels in their careers that I just can't believe. And the question is, do each of those people have well-being? And the answer is many don't. I think we have to redefine success as having the skills to deal with the full range of emotions that we experience in life. And that's it. I think so. My partner is a filmmaker and made a movie with Robin Williams. Could you be any more successful you know, than someone like Robin Williams. I mean, amazing comedian, actor, and sadly, you know, had terrible depression. 90% of the students at my university are seeking treatment for challenges with their mental health. Wow. And you're at Yale, where people assume like everyone would be happy because they got into this top school and they must be so smart and able to handle themselves. Exactly. That's the that's the, what I thought too. You know, like, Mark, when you get there, life's going to be amazing. You've made it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this is hard work. You got to keep up with everybody else. 
And so I just think that we have to rethink happiness. I think we have to strive to give ourselves permission to feel. But within that, also have the strategies that we need to deal with the full range of emotions that we experience in everyday life. I have found that as I've gone deeper into this work, of course, I get surrounded by a lot of people who are deep in this work. But my intention is to give this to people who have no clue how to start. So when I go into those spaces or when I'm in conversation with people who are not doing this work, I hear all sorts of responses about how they deal with their feelings. They don't seem helpful. Yeah, they don't seem like they would lead us toward this new definition of success. How do you think about, from what you understand in your research, how do you approach the way in which we should deal with our feelings? I think the first is our attitudes and mindsets about it. So we could ask each other how we feel right now. And the question is, do we really care? Do we really care? I don't even ask people the question because nobody really wants to answer it. And I don't want to hear what they have to say because I got to go do my thing anyway. And I think that is rampant in workplaces and schools and in homes. I've had fathers say, I'm not going to ask my kid how they're feeling at 730 in the morning. How are you getting on the train to go to work? What if I hear something that's not happy? I'm like, well, chances are you're going to hear something that's not happy. And the question is, do you know how those feelings are going to be influencing that child throughout the day? their productivity, their relationships, their health. And for all of us who are adults in the workplace, the same thing is true. So I think it starts off with this mindset, which is, I believe emotions matter. I give myself and everyone I care about, and even the people I don't care that much about, permission to feel. And I strive to be curious about feelings. Like I want to know. I'm an explorer. I'm a scientist, as opposed to closed, critical, and judgmental. To me, that's the first step. Uh, when I read your book, and it was at the very beginning that you talk about this idea of an emotion scientist versus an emotion judge. Yeah. Yeah. And so that example you use of the dad who's got to get to work because I think we're all rushing from thing to thing to thing and doesn't want to hear his child say they're not happy because probably then he'll have to deal with it or feel responsible for it. How do we do this in a society that's always asking us to move faster, do better and be busier? Well, it's funny you say that because I've been doing a lot of research lately with families. I've been really curious about this. And the two factors that parents tell me that get in the way are time. Like, I don't have time to do this. I'm like, so basically what you're telling me is that it's a value proposition, right? You've got time to scroll on your social media app for two hours every night, right? But you're, you're basically saying that you have not been educated in a way that makes you believe that taking time to deal with your own emotions and other people's emotions is worthwhile. We gotta change that value proposition. The second one is related to the first, which is the fear factor. Like people who are afraid to even be self-aware, right? I mean, they have to admit that I might need to change or that I might need support. It's like part of the reason I think most couples have weird relationships is that they don't actually know how their significant other feels. And think about it, 50, 60% of people get divorced. So what's the real reason? It's about how you feel with your partner. Well, maybe if you were more open and honest and authentic about your feelings and you support each other in dealing with those feelings with more helpful ways, more helpful strategies, maybe you can have a better relationship. But it's okay to not be perfect 
and have an open conversation. It doesn't make me weak just because I have strong feelings. So if we're introducing people to this topic and what we're circling is kind of this idea of emotional intelligence, which I feel like has gotten diluted. It's curious. Yeah. What I think really helped me get it was first the idea of considering myself to be an emotion scientist instead of a judge. So I'm curious, I'm exploring, I'm experimenting. Yeah. And then also your concept of ruler. Does ruler still apply and what is it? Yeah, of course it does. And I think, you know, my book one really helps people understand the R-U-L and part of the E, which is like, how am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Am I using the precise words to describe my feelings? And that's another thing, by the way, I learned during the pandemic is everybody was anxious, but maybe they weren't so anxious. Some people might have been overwhelmed and some people might have been worried and some people were feeling pressure and some people were feeling related but distinct emotions, which is a big part of being self-aware and a big pathway to regulating. So the second key strategy from my perspective is we got to get more granular and precise about how we feel. You can't just be happy, calm, mad, and sad. You know, there's a lot of variation in emotion and there are distinctions. Like, so for example, anxiety is about uncertainty, right? We feel anxious when we cannot make predictions about the future. Stressed is not that. When we're stressed, we've got too many demands and we don't have the resources to get those demands taken care of. And so when you think about it, the strategy, getting back to the regulation piece, you know, for me, when the pandemic hit, I mean, I remember it was like, you know, I'm spraying my groceries with Windex, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like my mother-in-law was living with us, like the world's coming to an end. You know, I'm watching the news, but the university shut down, you know, we're wearing masks, we're like going nuts. And it's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? All my brain was doing was questioning what is happening to the world and me. And I could take deep breaths. I could do my downward dog. But then 10 minutes later, I'd be like, what's happening? What's happening? And so I needed to learn cognitive strategies. I needed to have a different dialogue. I needed to say, Mark, we all go down together. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What song is that? (laughs) (laughs) I know I loved that song. I did too. I can't remember either. I don't know why it came to mind. But like, that was my my self-talk strategy was, Mark, you literally have no control over the stock market. You know, like you can spend all day long worrying about your portfolio and you can spend all day long, you know, worrying about what's happening out there in the world and about the virus. But what can you do right here, right now to make sure that you and your family are safe? Mm -hmm. And are you doing that? Okay, I'm doing that. Okay, Mark, you're doing the best you can. That's what I needed to handle my anxiety. Now, the pandemic also made our center, we thought, you know, who's going to want to work with our center to teach emotional intelligence? And then all of a sudden, like, we had like 700 inquiries a week. And I'm proud to say that we work with one of our funders. We built a course called Managing Emotions During Uncertain and Stressful Times. And that we got funded to do it. We built it. We advertised the heck out of it. And we had 200,000 teachers take that course for free. Wow. And so while I couldn't meet the demand, right, we had to be creative. So my solution for dealing with stress was let's be creative and find a solution that doesn't make our center sink. Like the more precise we are with knowing what our feelings are and their causes, the better able we're going to be to strategize. Well, and so ruler, which I'll share, is the ability to recognize, understand, label, express, and regulate our emotions. 
where what you're talking about, I think, matters so much, and it got me obsessed with this idea of recognizing the distinctions, is the label. Yeah. And so just you saying this, I realized I've actually been saying I'm anxious the last few weeks, but I've actually just been stressed, mm -hmm. which has led me to a feeling of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's totally different than my association with anxiety, which I do experience, but that's different than stress. And I'm like, oh my God, even I, who like uses this app, I'm still, you know, a mess. Yes. So, so for people who haven't heard this app, um, you know, Mark, you talk about the fact that there is this enormous range of emotions that we all experience in the thousands mm -hmm. that most of us really only know how to use three or four, maybe five words yeah. to describe how we feel. But you just used in this app a hundred different emotions that we all feel at any given time. You know, what it helped me realize was two things. Uh, one, I was not being clear about my own emotions. So even when you said happiness, it made me think about realizing for the first time when I was in your app that happiness is just this experience of pleasure. It's fleeting and it's different than contentment. It's different than joy. It's different than satisfaction. Mm -hmm. That for me was game changing because I thought I was supposed to be searching for happiness. And really what I wanted to experience on a regular basis was much more even keeled. It was contentment. It was like it was joy and contentment. Happiness felt more hedonic and more about the pleasure that I have in the moment, uh, which is comes and goes. It is. There's an industry around happiness. You know, if, if the happiness movement, which started 30 years ago, was so successful, then why have mental health challenges quadrupled, right, in the last 30 years? It just can't be the way to move forward, is to find ways to be happy all the time. Because life is not about being happy all the time. And that's what I was getting at earlier. Like, there have been some really hard times in my personal life, in my professional life, and it's not like I have to find strategies to be happy, right? I have to find strategies to be okay with the emotional experiences I'm going through in that moment or that week or that month. And if I were told, like, you know, got to be happy, strive to be happy, uh, if regulation were only about going from anxiety, stress, pressure, fear, overwhelm, anger, depression, discouragement to happy, my goodness, it's so unreachable. And that's what the research shows, by the way. We have a large study of educators that we are studying. The educators who like believe and are striving to be happy all the time, it backfires. They feel mm. more anxiety and more depression. Because you're like going after this thing you don't, you can't reach or you don't exactly. reach enough or it comes and it goes and you're like, well, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with the world that I can't have this thing? Yeah, you're just going to be endlessly disappointed in your well-being. Whereas if you strive for something like contentment, which is this idea of kind of feeling like you're complete, you know, you are enough. Wow, that's more interesting. I've lost a lot of people getting older and like I have a close friend with cancer right now that's been heartbreaking. And like I'm just trying to figure out how to have meaningful experiences with this person and certainly don't want to play around with that, with the happiness factor, mm -mm. you know? Mm -mm. You used a word which I like, which is contentment. And I think meaning and purpose are much more interesting than happy. Happy to me feels wafy now that I understand more of what it is. I'm like, oh, this is kind of boring. Yes. It's great to be happy once in a while. But it's like not something to think about maintaining, you know, full time. Mm. Okay. So what's the thing you strive to maintain? Is it contentment? It's more, it's more I would say, a global sense of well-being. I feel what's important is that... I have radical self-acceptance and other acceptance. And I'm a scientist about it. You know, if I'm sad for three days in a row, I ask myself questions like, 
what's going on? You know, what might you need to do differently to, to shift it? I think for me, what has been one of the most interesting principles about emotions that has helped me thrive, because I am, by the way, I'm not like that. I don't have the happiness gene. I've got the like, what's wrong gene? <laughs> I worry about everything and I worry about why I worry. And my point is that, gosh, there have been some moments in the last couple of years that have been really tough. And in the moment when it's tough, it feels like a toothache that will never go away. It's that pain that's not tolerable. And I've been talking to a lot of teenagers these days, some in my own family who have been really struggling with their sad feelings and the disconnection that they've experienced from being in quarantine for so long in their high school years. Mm -hmm. And the way I like to think about it is that life is filled with rainy days and sunny days. So of course, we want slightly more sunny days. You know, if I were to do a ratio, it's like 70-30. I could deal with that. But you can't do 100% sunny days. And that, that's just not a reality. There's got to be rain. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the flowers need to grow. And so that radical acceptance that it's a rainy day, but knowing that the sunny day is going to happen, it's very freeing yeah. because it just allows you to just be with your feelings as opposed to saying, oh my gosh, this is the worst moment. I have to get out of it. Maybe you're going to learn a lot from it. Maybe you're going to show more empathy to yourself and other people in that emotion state. Mm -hmm. Emotion regulation does not have to be getting rid of the emotion you're feeling. Emotion regulation can be being comfortable with that feeling. We're taking a quick break. When we get back, Mark tells me how we might be misusing therapy words like gaslighting, trauma, and narcissist as catchphrases, and how we can be clearer about what's really going on for us so we can get our needs met. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back with Mark Brackett, director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and author of Permission to Feel. I remember when I first saw your app, the mood meter is separated into four quadrants and they're colored. And so there's yellow, which is high energy, high pleasantness. There's green, which is lower energy, but still high pleasantness. And then there's blue, which is low energy, low pleasantness. And then there's red, which is high energy, low pleasant. As soon as I opened the app, I was like, oh, I don't want any of that <laughs> on the left side. I don't want mm -hmm. low pleasantness or low energy or any combination or high pleasantness. High. Like, I was like, how do I stay in the green and the yellow? And, you know, it was scary, actually, for me mostly to look at the blue. I'm actually more OK with being like, oh, I'm a little worried. I'm anxious. Those things. Things feel acceptable and depression, sadness, despair, all of those things feel less acceptable. Yeah. But and yet you literally put this together because your research shows that we all feel it. I mean, there's a lot of variability. Some people experience some quadrants more than other quadrants for sure. But yeah, life is full of disappointments. Gosh almighty, if the disappointments in my career have helped me grow. So life is going to be the roller coaster ride. One thing about the app that I think is powerful and the tool in itself is that it takes all the complexities, you know, that are running around in our minds and bodies 
and it helps us to have a visual to project that onto. Now, importantly, and this is the bias, and you have it too, just so you know, because <laughs> you talk about the yellow and green as the good stuff, and the blue and the red as the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what we have to move away from, right? And it's intentionally unpleasant and pleasant, mm-hmm. not negative, positive. Even I can't get away from it, <laughs> honestly, and I've been doing this stuff forever. But it's just about emotions are not good or bad. Emotions are not negative or positive. Emotions are experiences that can bring us pleasure or displeasure. There's a nuance there, right? Because life is going to be about experiencing displeasure. And so you can have an attitude, you know, like I'm going to avoid, you know, ever asking for feedback because I don't want to feel unpleasant feelings. Or you can say life is about experiencing the full range of emotions. And guess what? It's okay for me to be a little disappointed in myself or angry with someone else or overwhelmed by this. It's information because that's what emotions are. They're all data. And then it's okay. Well, why am I feeling that way? Going back to ruler. And then what is the precise feeling? I just can't believe how poor people's vocabularies are about emotions. Okay, well, can I ask you this? Sure. So you recently co-authored this article that really got me going. And same with the producers on this show. We were talking about this, this idea of like people not knowing how to label their emotions or experiences. Mm -hmm. And your article was about the overuse of therapy words. So even before we started recording, you know, one of our producers, Ruffo, was sharing that how often she hears people use the term gaslighting or gaslit Mm -hmm. or trauma or passive aggressive or manipulation. Can you talk about like, what are the words that we societally, and I think a lot of us who are coming up in this world a little bit more, you know, turned on to these phrases and words because of social media, et cetera. What are we overusing? And what do you think we're really trying to do? Because I don't think it's malicious. No, it's just that we don't know any better. We don't have the nuance. We're not taught to understand the difference between sad and down and disappointment and discouragement and despair and depression. And so if you don't have that granularity or that understanding that disappointment is about unmet expectations and despair is about feeling like you have no hope, um, if you don't understand that you know being peeved is like, you know, it didn't go your way, but being enraged is someone, you know, committed a major injustice then you just won't have the vocabulary to be articulate. And so what happens is that we have these catchphrases like anxiety mm-hmm. and depression, gaslighting, you know, overhearing somebody recently and they're like, you know, you're gaslighting me about something. It was about going out somewhere. I'm like, I'm not gaslighting you. I just don't, I don't want to go see that movie. <laughs> it's like, it's like um, something about another person was like, said something recently and they would call me a narcissist. I'm like, yes. okay, let's think about this for a minute. Like, I need to like take care of myself tonight because I've been on the road for a week. I don't feel like going out for dinner with everybody. I'm not a narcissist. I'm doing something that I want to do. It's not like narcissism is a, a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? And so we just throw out these terms. It's just not helpful because it doesn't help us get our needs met. And so trauma is serious and really important as a concept and as an experience, God knows. Mm -hmm. But if it's traumatizing that you got a A minus in my class than an A, you know, we've got to redefine trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Because trauma cannot be that you were just disappointed in your grade or angry with me. And so you got to label it to regulate it. And the more accurate we can be, the better. 
Well, and I I appreciate you sharing some of these examples. I think they'll resonate with people. I notice these terms being used so often. And while I think it's great that we are trying to, I think, societally embrace a larger pool of experiences, we're using these as catch-all phrases that I also think diminish the real experience. Exactly. You know, if you're working as a teacher in a school with a child who has had serious trauma, whether it be racial trauma or abuse or neglect, that requires a lot of understanding of how to work with people and support people. And, you know, I think we can all be more trauma-informed in general. We can be a bit more careful about the way we use words. But it's a big difference, you know, in terms of supporting someone in dealing with, you know, the disappointment they have around a promotion or a grade in school or the frustration, you know, when your kid doesn't come down for dinner at the right time. Yeah. And so if we think about the thing you're trying to do and share with everybody today, would you say that it's incredibly important then that we become skilled at labeling our feelings? Yeah. So I like to think of R-U-L as all being kind of understanding our own and others' emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'm like trying to figure out, am I pleasant, unpleasant, my higher and low energy, that mood meter tool. And then I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, what's, what's the story I'm telling myself about what I'm about to be doing? Am I dreading it, you know, or am I looking forward to it? Because I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. If I'm dreading it, I might be feeling fear, right? That's the labeling it. And then there is the E and the R, which is, what do I do with this feeling? Can I talk about it? Am I in an environment where it's safe mm-hmm. to be my true self? And if I need to shift, if I'm about to give a presentation and I'm feeling overwhelmed or fear or stress or anxiety or dread, what's my strategy to support me? And so that's the regulation piece. And, you know, what I would say is that what I share with you up front was the kind of this mindset piece, like, do emotions matter? Do I give myself permission to feel do I believe that I have the ability to deal with my feelings? Like, do I have self-efficacy? And do I believe in myself that, Mark, you can actually use these strategies to make your life better? I'll give you an example. So you can't tell this right now, but I have gotten much more physically fit during the pandemic. (laughs) And so I'm working out much more like with weights. I don't like it though. I dread going to the gym. I've never been a gym person (laughs) still to this day. When I'm doing certain exercises that are strenuous, my brain goes into... Mark, you're 53 years old. Like, what are you, who, you know, why the heck are you, this is ridiculous. You know, why are you doing this? All the negativity. I take my deep breath and I'm like, Mark, who are you fooling? And for whatever it is, that phrase has become my go-to strategy. Mm. Whenever I like feel like not doing the extra set or doing that harder kind of exercise, I just say, because I know I've made a commitment. And I'm like, well, who are you fooling right now, Mark? Mm. And it's like, oh yeah. If you leave the gym right now, what are you actually going to go do Mm -hmm. instead? You know, and it's not going to be, you know, something that's going to be necessarily beneficial for my health and well-being. And so that's the bucket I was leading into, which is the cognitive bucket. It's like we have just been programmed to be so self-critical. I mean, it's just awful the amount of self-criticism that we engage in. I did learn a little bit about positive self-talk growing up, but it was in many ways like what we might call today toxic positive Mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. Like it would be things like stop worrying, it's going to be fine, or get over it, or move on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, or why are you worrying that you have so much more than they have? Mm -hmm. I I don't think that's helpful to help people deal with their feelings. And it's dismissive of the feeling. And so how do we engage in more authentic, positive self-talk? 
I was interviewing, just so you know, for my book, the singer Jewel, because she does a lot of work in trauma and mental health. And I loved what she said to me, you know, Mark, and she had a pretty rough childhood. Um, she said, I started really being curious, like learning like the law of physics. And like the law of physics is that everything changes, including my feelings. Hmm. And so I just, whenever I was in the dark place, I just latched on that, well, why should I hang on to this dark, dark place when the law of physics says everything's going to change? I love that point that everything's going to change. And I think that's the perfect way to end this, which is also recognizing that the skills that we're creating are amazing skills for dealing with our present experiences. And one of the best things we can do is recognize and look back at how many times those have shifted, because that's what gives us that hope for the next sunny day and the knowing that the rainy day is going to come and there have been sunny days behind it. I thought you were going to say, that's a perfect way to end because the law of physics says everything begins and ends. And now this podcast is ending. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, Mark, I love talking to you. (laughs) Um, Better humans are, I want you to complete that statement. Better humans are. Emotionally self-aware. Better work is. A combination of purpose and productivity. And a better world has. Has more Uncle Marvins, Mm. (laughs) which for me means people who are better listeners, people who are less judgmental, and people who show more empathy and compassion. Love that. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. That was Mark Brackett director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and author of Permission to Feel. One big thing before we go, emotional intelligence has a huge impact on our lives, but most of us don't really get taught how to reflect, how to understand, or how to label our emotions. I feel like that puts us in really messy situations. So if you're wondering why do this work, why try this out, it's that being able to understand your interior world effectively is going to transform how you experience the exterior world. So this is really about going back to that first phrase I started with. You are a feeling being who happens to think, not a thinking being who has feelings every now and again. So one could say emotional intelligence is one of the most important things you can do on a path to personal growth. If this conversation was thought-provoking and has you reflecting on how you can get clearer on your emotions, why don't you share it with someone else who might be thinking the same thing or feeling the same thing? Maybe it can help them find what they're looking for and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me what aha moment you had about emotions today. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Kudron makes sure we sound good in the studio and has mixed this show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pong is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief here at LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.